values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, appreciate you spending some time with us this morning. Happy uh, Wednesday from the Mike Broomhead Show. We appreciate you, all of you out at the Pro-Am or heading out to the Pro-Am out at the WM Phoenix Open or the NFL Experience downtown. It's a great time to be in Arizona, even if you're, especially if you're not from here. Welcome. We're glad you're here. Uh, we hope you're having a good time. We hope we're being good hosts. Um, I want you to hear a little bit of the State of Union address and some of the things that um, the president wants to do. He wants to tax billionaires. This, I'm going to start here. This is him about tax. Billionaires in taxes. You know, there's a thousand billionaires in America. It's up from about 600 in the beginning of the term. But no billionaire should be paying a lower tax rate than a school teacher or firefighter. I mean it. I mean it. He says, uh, again, I want to remind you, this is fair. Even if you agree with the president and you agree that that's the case. And I tell you, in principle, I agree with you. Billionaires should not be paying less than in a percentage should not be paying less than a firefighter um, or a school teacher. But this president spent the better part of 50 years, at least 40 of them, as a United States senator. And he helped shape this tax code going back to the 1970s, I believe, certainly the 1980s. He helped shape this tax code. So the the pandering to a group of people that want to punish the rich is not going to solve our problem. So I want you to think about this. If you take the the 1000 billionaires in this country and you confiscated 100 percent of their wealth, how much of our deficit would be paid off? I want you to think about that. The answer is not much. We have a much bigger issue than a punish the rich mentality. I agree with you that everyone should pay their fair share. But what is that? If you truly wanted fairness in the tax code, and this is where this uh, pandering to the working class in America, I think the working class in America is starting to wake up to this because we've been hearing about this tax the rich stuff forever. And I'm not uh, this, I'm not someone that fits in this category. I'm not a millionaire, not a billionaire. Certainly. I want to be. I mean, I want to be a millionaire. I want to have financial security. I want all of those things. But if if you want to be fair, you would have to change the tax code. And there are a lot of people in the president's political party that benefit from the current tax code. So the grandstanding so that working class Americans feel good that rich people are going to have to pay more, that group is shrinking that group is shrinking. He talked about stopping fees. He stopped about ca- talked about capping insulin costs. He top- so it all was about um, kind of invading in businesses and changing the economy that way. And there are some people in that room that stood and applauded. But here's one area where people laughed. This was about uh, not wanting to invest oil companies, not wanting to invest in drilling or in refining. And when I talk to a couple of them, they say, we're afraid you're going to shut down all the oil wells and all the uh, oil refineries anyway, so why should we invest in them? I said, we're going to need oil for at least another decade. And that's going to exceed. <laughs> and beyond that, we're going to need- that, that, that laughter just gets me. The president didn't understand. He didn't understand why that laughter. 
The fact of the matter is that there is a level of business sense. Say what you want about the Trump administration or President Trump as a human being or the the mean tweets or whatever you want. There is a difference in someone that knows how to make something work and someone that doesn't. The president of the United States, this president of the United States, with all due respect, has never had a real job. He's talked about being a truck driver and this other stuff, but he has spent the vast majority of his adult life in government where you are spending other people's money. You are making rules for other people. There isn't a bottom line to, and this is, everyone should look at this. You know, you have someone with no experience in the real world making real world decisions that have big implications in the real world. And for the president to say some of the things he said is just, uh, to me, just goes over the line. Um, He talks about uh, tax cheats. This is interesting. Instead of cutting the number of audits for wealthy taxpayers, I just signed a law to reduce the deficit by $114 billion by cracking down on wealthy tax cheats. That's being fiscally responsible. The president of the United States also talks about, and when you talk about the expansion of the IRS, this is what's frustrating to a lot of people. And I mean this for every, I know there are people out there that are independent or they're Democrats that lean further, much further left than I do on fiscal issues. But you have to ask yourself an important question about this. Um, is the IRS, having an expanded IRS something you feel good about? I don't hate the IRS. I think everybody has to pay their taxes. Everybody should pay their taxes. Everybody should pay a fair share. I get all of that. You know, um, I do. But do we want the IRS buying weapons and buying ammunition and hiring tens of thousands of people? And do you really believe that what they will be going after is wealthy people only? That is not what they're going to do. If you are someone that makes your money through an app or online ride share, uh, if you make tips for a living, you are you are going to be required and they're going to start checking transactions over what, five or six hundred dollars. This is going to affect the average working class American. And this is where I think I, it's going to be bad for individuals for a while, but this may be better for the country because the more that the average person has an intrusion into their wallet by the federal government, two things happen. Number one, you're much more invested, so you want to make sure the money that you've had taken from you is spent wisely, which we all know the federal government doesn't spend money wisely. The other part of it is you're going to see what that intrusion looks like. When you work your butt off, when you hear about, you know, let's say it's a 25% or a 30%, if it's a 25% tax rate, that means every bit of profit you make for the first three months of the year, the government takes. That's 25%. 25% of what you earn is the government's. So you work January, February, and March in order to pay the government. And when you start seeing it that way, and when you start feeling it that way, you have a healthier suspicion of the government. So I think overall, this may be good for the American people overall and open some eyes. I'm certain, I'm, I can't wait to see how it turns out. In a, in a moment, we had a conversation earlier about water. Uh, I want to uh, talk a little bit about it, but I also want to play some more of the State of the Union address and some of the things that the president had to say and what he didn't say. Because one Arizona congressman from his side of the aisle thinks he should have addressed the water issue. All that's coming up here in just a moment. 
and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. Earlier, we talked a little bit about the water problem here in Arizona. For those of you that are just visiting, uh, obviously, we live in the desert here, and we have an issue with there's been an ongoing drought. We have seen Lake Mead and Lake Powell at its lowest levels in, in at least decades, if not in history, down at about 30%. And But both of our senators, both Senator Sinema and Senator Kelly, are both optimistic and for different reasons and in different ways, according to one news story about this. And Senator Cinema suggested Thursday or last week, this was last week, um, a creation of the Colorado River Water Caucus for the 14 senators. So there's seven western states that are stakeholders in this issue, Arizona being one of them. And those 14 senators starting a caucus to deal with the issue. The problem has been six of the seven states have come to some kind of an agreement on water restrictions. And water disbursement, California being the holdout. And so um, it is setting things back and people are saying maybe the White House needs to get involved. And uh, President Biden did not talk about this issue in the State of the Union address. And at least one member of the uh, congressional delegation, the House delegation, uh, being – uh, uh, Congressman Greg Stanton of Arizona, a Democrat, said that he wished the president had addressed this. Will the White House step in? Um, this is an important issue in Arizona. It's one that's very fascinating to me. There's a lot of people, when you start saying we're going to talk about water, starts flipping the dial because they think, oh my gosh, how boring. It really isn't. I, I grew up in a place where there is so much rain and so much water to a desert. So I went from one extreme to the other. Southwest Florida, where I grew up, gets so much rain just in the month of August. I think it's 30 inches of rain sometimes just in the month of August. Um, And so it has a lot of water and a different set of issues and what to do with it. Here in Arizona, we get a lot less rainfall. And we have drought conditions. So Arizona has done a very good job of water storage. We take our runoff water. We store it underground. We do a much better job than our neighbors out of necessity. And we've done a great job. California is the holdout here. Now, California, not only is it a massive state, but they have not done nearly a good enough job at storing water. So when they had these massive storms in the last few months, the stories began to pop up again and how they do a bad job of storing their rainwater. Um, it runs off into the ocean. They're not able to capture it. They're not doing things very well. Pinal County here in Arizona is going to be strapped with huge um, restrictions. Ranchers and farmers not able to farm their land because of water restrictions. Arizona is paying a price partially because our neighbors have not done a very good job of storage of water. Most people consider um, the state of California to be environmentally friendly, to be an environmentalist haven. And you compare it to Arizona and what we've done when it comes to water especially, and that's just not the case. And so it is something that um, we were more hopeful that the president would address, but are they going to step in and force the hand of California? This is where I'm concerned about politics. First of all, each of the two senators for every one of the seven states involved have uh, have a responsibility, number one, to the citizens of their state. So I can't see California senators being willing to make big concessions for the greater good of the other six states. They're going to fight for what's right for their state. And, and, and on some levels, they should. Should there be some concessions and some give and take? Absolutely. But does that mean that they should give away the farm? Well, they're not going to. They are California senators. 
Also, you've got to factor in the president of the United States may be running for reelection in two years, less than two years now. And does he want to take a state that has as many as electoral votes as California carries and upset them by making massive restrictions, especially in Southern California? Um, and, and so that's a political concern. In the end, Arizona is primed, no pun intended. We are in a prime position to with not only withstand a recession that would happen nationally, but to thrive over the next decades, two, three, four decades, with the direction business has taken here. Water and these water issues, the expense and cost of water could be one area that could hinder that growth. That, um, you know, having to have a better water plan, <clears throat> are we going to have a desal plant? Is the cost of our water going to go up, which is going to be bad for the consumer in the residential world? If, you know, for working families to dramatically increase the cost of the water into their home would be bad for those personal economies. But if you're a business that's water intensive, if you are someone, I want you to think Saudi Arabia has made big news um, here because the Saudis are leasing land in Arizona. Arizona, and they're growing their alfalfa crops. So alfalfa hay or alfalfa is a very water intensive crop. It isn't seasonal, so it can be grown multiple times throughout the year, but it uses a lot of water to grow that crop. And the Saudis are growing their alfalfa here. They're harvesting it. They're bailing it. They're loading it on ships and they're sending it to Saudi Arabia to feed their cattle. But imagine here, even for American farmers and American ranchers, if you are here feeding cattle or if you're watering cattle or you have intensive crops like this or cotton or or um, uh, the water intensive crop of alfalfa, what does it do to the expense? So this is all a concern of not only sustainability, but also expense of trying to find sustainable options. And I think it's a fascinating topic. Not everyone does, but I certainly do. And I'm anxious to see what happens as we move forward with this. Um, In a moment, the Fed talks about inflation. They're saying good news. Inflation is coming down. Not so good news. Not that fast. So we may have to raise rates again. We'll talk about the mixed message and the mixed bag of the economy next. and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much. Appreciate you spending some time here with the Mike Broomhead Show. Welcome if you're visiting out here for Super Bowl or the WM Phoenix Open. We appreciate your business. Thanks for coming to visit us uh, and uh, spend lots of money. We're always happy when you do that here. And I guarantee you this, if you're out here at this time of year, you're spending lots of money. Um, But thanks for being here. Uh, We want to talk about the economy. I think this is something that's in flux. There's a lot of concern out there. Wall Street is concerned, um, whether it's the Dow or the S&P or the NASDAQ. We are seeing a little bit of of worrisome times where the concern of going into a recession and how deep that recession might be. What does that say over the next 12 months for our economy? The Fed chair, Jerome Powell, said that inflation is starting to ease. 
But interest rates are still likely to remain high. The job market has been very strong. Uh, the re- uh, the uh, inflation is not receding at a fast enough pace. So we are still going to see high interest rates and maybe even higher interest rates in the next couple of months. Um, so that's concerning for many people. And we are also seeing a softening in a lot of job markets. Um, the latest now that we have seen is that Zoom is laying off about 15% of their workforce. We know that uh, other uh, tech in the tech industry have had announced layoffs. Zoom is the latest one to do that. But Uber, rideshare, Uber has seen record revenue. That is uh, obviously a little bit different. I talked about the housing crisis in Arizona. If you're out here visiting, we have had what is good for someone like me that is a homeowner that um, we've had seen a huge spike in the value of homes here. We've seen a softening in recent weeks, recent months, I should say, but we have seen strong and how strong housing markets around the valley here, the different valley cities, because we have a housing shortage. So even though we've seen a softening of the market with interest rates going up and a little bit of uncertainty, we were having such a dogfight for people to find um, housing that there were people that were making cash offers and tens of thousands of dollars over asking price and this bidding war that was going on. So for a lot of families now, as the prices of softened, it's getting a lot of people back into the market. Interest rates are still very reasonable, and so people are getting in. There's still a strong market here. The rental market is very fierce. I talked about a story out of Chandler. It's the the, the NIMBY thing, not in my backyard. An affordable housing project is being fought by some neighbors in Chandler. I, I'll be honest. I, I want to be as educated as I can on a topic before I form a real opinion, but we know that that NIMBYism is real, that we all understand intellectually that things need to be done, that affordable housing needs to be built. The problem is nobody wants it in their backyard. And so I don't know if that's what's happening here in Chandler. I'm going to wait until I have more information on it. But affordable housing has always been an issue. And I think about people... Fortunately for my oldest, she bought a home, um, I don't know, six years ago, I think it was. And uh, I was very happy for her because she's watched her property value increase significantly. And this is going to be something for her that gives her financial stability for the years to come. And, and you know, as a parent, you look at that and you think that to me is one of the most important things. But it makes me think of the community in a broader sense that young people that are just starting out or people that are starting over and having that American dream of home ownership and not feeling as if you're ever going to attain it is discouraging. I think all of us are willing to work hard, especially when we have a goal in mind. When the goal becomes unattainable, it becomes discouraging to the people, and that that sense of purpose sometimes wanes. I love the idea that in America we still believe, at least I do, in the American dream, the possibilities that this affords us. But with the economy, I want you to hear this ABC report on the shifting in hiring and layoffs. More signs the economy is adjusting to post-pandemic reality. Zoom is cutting 15% of its workforce, or about 1,300 jobs, as part of a restructuring. eBay laying off 500 workers, about 4% of its workforce in the next 24 hours. Tech companies have been shedding jobs at a brisk pace as more people head back to work and into brick-and-mortar stores. Boeing is also eliminating about 2,000 finance and HR jobs, but it's hiring 10,000 employees in manufacturing and engineering with demand for planes taking off. 
We've seen a shift in the attitude of people over the last few years, the great resignation that was happening in so many people that were working from home and saying, I'm going to change jobs in the next year, leaving their job, their workplace and going in a different direction. I'm going to just advocate for something just for a moment. I can't, I changed careers uh, accidentally. I, I fell into this career um, and absolutely love it. But for most of my adult life, I went from working in restaurants as a kid to working in the trades. I was an electrical apprentice at 18 years old. And that industry sustained me and actually gave me a very good life and a very good livelihood uh, for years until I transitioned into the media. But I would suggest to you that after talking with organizations like, um, um, you know, these organizations that are um, building your future, build your future, Arizona, um, the CTEDs that I am so familiar with here, the career technical education districts for young people, and we are seeing so many other people and organizations. You know, corporations are saying a four-year degree isn't necessarily required anymore. If you've got a certain skill set, we want you. Um, I am not in any way denigrating. Or or diminishing a college education. I think it's a very important thing for most people. But people are opening their eyes to the idea that there are very good livings to be made out there. Now, for me, I liked working with my hands. I liked being out in the field. I also liked the office side of construction. I liked bidding work. I liked project management. I liked all of those things. So I enjoyed the industry as a whole. And if you're someone that's looking right now for a career for the first time, you're young and moving forward, or if you are someone that says, I'd like to do something different, looking into those trades, it's something now that is interesting because um, it's a world that pays very well. There's a couple of hundred thousand jobs will be available in the next couple of years. Another one, if you look at how with uh, it's the good and bad, it's that two sides of every coin. Um, you know, I have a good friend that always says it's a pretty thin slice of ham that doesn't have two sides. And um, in policing, we have seen policing fall off as many people left the profession. We've seen a high retirement rate, people leaving and going somewhere else, which means police agencies are looking for talented people, whether it's in the jail system, it's in the, as a profession, as a deputy or as a trooper or as an officer. And so there is a world out there of very satisfying work. For me, the satisfaction being in construction was at the end of every day, you could see progress. And you can I can still drive around town and point out projects that I've worked on by myself or as a group, as a collaborative. And I'm still proud of the work that I've done. There is a pride in all of this, along with making a really good living that is also a very secure area. Um, again, I, I worked from 1985 until about 2009 as an electrician and never spent a day unemployed that I didn't choose. Um, and that is a remarkable thing. So, uh, and anybody can do it. Coming up in a moment, uh, we're going to talk about one more story. This topic gets me every time. Another example of mismanagement of federal dollars. And why is this an important topic when we're arguing about budgets? So we'll talk about that coming up here in just a moment.
strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. And thanks for being here. Keeping in um, the theme of the State of the Union address last night, I've got obviously political differences with the current administration. I don't think we're on the right path. I don't think that we need to tax the American public on any level any more than we already are. Um, I think that the people in this country are taxed enough that the United States government is collecting record revenue. They have been for years, every month, every quarter. They correct, collect record revenue. And the president goes after private industry and says you should lower your prices in the oil and gas industry, talking about eggs and other things, the necessities we eat, that companies shouldn't be charging outrageous amounts of money and making outrageous profits at a time when the American people are having a tough time making ends meet. And yet, the President of the United States continues to want to raise taxes on businesses, big and small, by the way. Tax rate is going up, and he is not giving money back to the American people and lowering the prices of the federal government. That's my basic feeling. In addition to that, Federal officials warn that 191 billion with a B in COVID unemployment aid may have been misspent. We have been chronicling billions and billions. It's going to add up to a trillion dollars very soon in wasteful spending in the government from the Defense Department not being able to account for billions of dollars in equipment. They just don't even know where it is. It was equipment that was loaned out or, or to to non governmental entities that were working for the Defense Department. They don't know where they cannot account for any of any place this equipment is to misspending and mismanagement of federal dollars. The U.S. government may have misspent roughly $191 billion in pandemic unemployment benefits. A top federal watchdog is set to tell Congress on Wednesday. That's today. Washington continues to uncover the vast and still growing extent of the waste, fraud, and abuse targeting the coronavirus. So again, in all fairness, I laid out my case at the beginning of this part of the show and how I don't agree with the policies of this administration on taxation. We also have to be fair in saying it was the previous administration. It was during the years that Trump was president. We did not have a Republican Congress. We had a Republican president. When this money was mismanaged, it is a systemic problem that transcends party lines where the federal government, just because of its sheer size and its inefficiency, wastes so much of our money. Republicans and Democrats argue about what the government's job is in the lives of people. And the Democratic Party largely believes that it's their job to take from the rich and give to the poor, and that makes us a better society. That's not a – I'm not insulting. I'm just observing. And the Republicans largely believe, or they're supposed to, that a smaller government allows people to keep more of their own money, and we don't have to redistribute wealth. But what we've seen in recent years, especially in recent years, both sides of the political aisle. As a matter of fact, on Friday, we're going to have a conversation with Congressman David Schweikert about earmarks and the absurd number of Republicans that are going back to using earmarks in budget items. But both sides of the aisle should agree on this. We wouldn't have to cut one program. We would not have to change one thing we're doing, and we could put a dent in our deficits if if we were able to end the waste and the redundancy in our budgets. If, if the Defense Department could keep track of its equipment, if the Postal Service could keep track of its equipment, if we didn't have government entities that were saying we have billions, again, billions of dollars with a B that was either misspent or that we can't account for. If we just reined that in, if we did a serious audit, if you were going to buy a company, and I don't know if you've ever done that. I've, I've not purchased one myself, but I've been a part of a purchase of a company. 
you audit. You want to know where their money went in, where their money goes out. You want to know how solvent they are. You want to know where they're weak and you want to know where they're strong when you're setting a price for its value to buy it or a price for the company you have to sell it. And if it's your company, you assess. If you're in the restaurant industry, you understand that food loss and food waste is one of the killers of the bottom line of a restaurant. If you buy too much produce and it goes bad and you have to throw it away and you're not cooking with it and selling it, it comes directly off your bottom line and your profit. So restaurateurs hire restaurant managers who are in, or chefs that are in charge of purchasing and they get it. They don't want to run out, but they don't want a bunch thrown away. And keeping that food cost to a minimum is a key to running a successful business. Your staff, your front of house staff, staffing up when it's busy to give great customer service, staffing down when it's slow to save the restaurant money. And I'm just doing, I'm taking one industry and one small piece of it. It's the same way in construction. It's the same way in whatever you're doing right now. If you're at work listening to this, there is a science to making sure you stay profitable. You have to have a good product, whatever your product is, you have to deliver it well and give good customer service. Those are the keys. But a lot of money is lost in waste in every industry, every industry. And in private industry, good companies figure out by doing audits, they find out where the waste is and they eliminate it. Doesn't necessarily save every company, and sometimes bigger things have to be done. But here in the U.S., we chronicle billions and billions and billions of dollars that our federal government wastes. Both sides of the aisle are guilty of it, and both sides of the aisle should sit down, do a real audit of the American government, who is running it, who's in charge, and make sure that the government's being as efficient with money as they possibly can be. Because they, they, they aren't always. We're going to have the CEO of St. Vincent de Paul on tomorrow talking about the opposite side of this, the efficiency in which nonprofits run in making sure that the dollars that they take in donations isn't wasted so donors knew, know that their money is not being wasted. It's a great thing. We'll talk about that tomorrow on the show. In a moment, we're going to talk about education and improved education in Arizona. Next.